Dougie! How you doing, Dougie? How you doing? <laughs> For those of you who may not know, you should know, that was a pretty damn good imitation of Christopher Mad Dog Russo. It's how he greets me every time he sees me. Way to go, Stevie Boy! Way to go! How you doing, Stevie Boy? That's what he likes to do. He makes me laugh every time I see him. You know, <clears throat> I sit here before you today incredibly humbled. Humbled over the fact that I have an opportunity on a weekly basis to work alongside one of the greatest voices in the history of sports. He doesn't like to admit it, of course. It's me, it's everybody else that's done something for him. But allow me to take a few moments to tell you what Christopher Mad Dog Russo has done for all of us. He started out in weekends, if I remember correctly, WFAN Radio in New York. The year was 1988. That's when I first started listening to him. I was on my way to college, high school student out of Thomas Edison Vocational and Technical High School in Queens, New York. He used to turn on the radio on the weekends, knowing that in some way, somehow, I aspired to have a future in the world of sports. And I used to listen to this loud dude, this obnoxious dude that was talking about sports. And it didn't take you long to figure out he knew what the hell he was talking about. Now, he ain't great with names now. He'll forget anybody's name. He'll mispronounce one name after another after another. A matter of fact, Mrs. Mad Dog Rooster is about the only name I know that he articulates correctly 100% of the time, which is very, very smart of him because happy wife, happy life. We all know that even those of us who are not married. But here's the thing. As you pay attention to what he has done throughout the years, you remember him connecting with Mike Francesa, and it was Mike and the Mad Dog for many, many years, leading the sports talk radio genre into a new era. As far as I'm concerned, being pioneers in that industry, jump-starting it, creating opportunities and careers for an abundance of people throughout this country long before they even realized what they were doing. They were number one. They were must-listen-to radio. They resonated and reverberated throughout this nation. And it was because of them that places like ESPN and everywhere else elevated as well. Because you knew that when you listened to Mike and the Mad Dog, you were getting a level of insight that you weren't getting anywhere else. And it started with Mad Dog Russo. Yes, they were both incredibly knowledgeable. Yes, they were both incredibly gifted. But there was something about Christopher Mad Dog Russo that stood out. And you know when you know you're great? When you transcend times. When you do what you did in the 80s. And you continue to do it in the 90s. And you continue to do it in the next millennium. And all of a sudden, you end up getting your own damn channel. There's been many people that can do that in this lifetime. Christopher Mad Dog Russo is one of those people. And as a person that's gotten the opportunity to know him throughout the last few years, it's one thing to look at somebody and to admire the work that they've done. It's another thing to look at them and admire who they've become. And then it's even more special when you can elevate to a point where you can call them a friend. I love this man. I love what he stands for. I love what he's all about. He's as real and authentic as it gets. His knowledge about sports history cannot be questioned. His contribution to the industry cannot be denied. And his impact on me personally knows no limits. 
I just wanted to take this moment to say thank you for all that you've meant to me, Christopher Mad Dog Russo. Thank you for all that you've meant to this industry and the beauty of you. What we marvel at most is that despite nearly 40 years in this business, you still look like you're just getting started. That's what Hall of Famers are made of. That's why you are a Hall of Famer. And that is why it is my honor and privilege to introduce you into the Radio Hall of Fame. Congratulations, my brother. Nobody deserves it more than you. Is anybody alive out there tonight? That was one hell of an introduction by my man, Stephen A. I'll give you a little brief autobiographical sketch, and then I'll do some thank yous, and we'll go watch the Phillies win game three. <laughs> seven nothing top eight, by the way, seven nothing, believe it or not. I got an AMC Gremlin with 92,000 miles on it on a snowy weekend in February of 83, with the blessings of a pe my parents, I'm an only child, driving to Jacksonville, Florida, because I wanted to be the next Vin Scully. Vin Scully, of course, was the legendary play-by-play -play voice of the Dodgers, who just passed away recently. And I wanted to be a baseball play-by-play -play guy. And the AA Suns was the opportunity that at that time in my life, six months after college, that I could get. Six weeks into it, they fired me. I ran into a radio station in Jacksonville in between selling for the Suns, WEXI, 1280 AM. The first day I showed up, the Monday after St. Patty's Day weekend, the sports guy quit. Big break. They needed a sports personality. They gave it to me. I sold radio advertising, 30 seconds of 30 spots per week for 240 bucks. I did the morning sports, and I did sports talk on weekends with the owner's son who loved pro wrestling. You got it, pro wrestling. <laughs> Two phone lines, no guests. A year of that, I needed a break. I needed a, light ra I needed a life raft. The guy who gave it to me was Larry Kahn. See you tonight? Larry was the executive radio producer of WKIS in Orlando. He was the producer of the Gene Burns program, and they were looking for a sports talk show host. And boy, did I need an opportunity. I came down on a Sunday night, no phone calls, no guests, two hours. I must have did pretty well. They hired me, put me on weeknights, six to eight, made a living. $13,000 a year, made 120 bucks a week in Jacksonville. I did that for two or three years. Weird shows, but a good sports audience in Central Florida. Had a USFL football team, loved the Dolphins. I found a niche. Went to Riverfront Stadium to follow Pete Rose's hit chase in 85. Did the radio program because of a technical snafu in the press box. I did it off the phone booth in the quarters in Riverfront, with people, hundreds of people waiting to get to the phone, and I'm conducting a two-way sports talk radio program. <laughs> I knew then that the show must go on. A year later, a program, uh, regime change. You know how that works in radio. A new guy comes in, doesn't like the old talent on the air. They move me to weekends. 
No definable time slots. One day, one Saturday, one o'clock, the next Sunday, four o'clock. Hard to find an audience there, no matter how good you are during the week six to eight. I needed another life raft. There was an ad in Broadcasting Magazine. If you talk like a New York sports talk show host, send tape and resume too. I thought nothing of it, I swear to God. I kept a tape in that Honda Civic, which my parents bought me for about, an hour, for about a week before I shipped it to WMCA in New York. Rick Scalar was the consultant. Rick Scalar is one of the all-timers. Promoted the first Beatles concert in 65 at Shea. Put Howard Cosell on the air. Top radio format in the mid-60s. He brings me up to do five days. I go back to Orlando. I'm in big trouble. $17,000 a year, I need a break. He calls me up, St. Patty's Day weekend, offers me $54,000, pays for my moving expenses. WMCA in New York, here I come. I was 27 years of age. I do that for a year and a half, and Bob Raceman, New York Daily News, gives me a nickname. I think you've heard of it. Mad Dog. Enjoyed it. Program change. Regime change. The station sold. They were a talk radio station. 570 MCA in the 60s and 70s was a huge outlet. They went to religion. No longer was there Christopher Russo on weekends doing sports talk. My agent at the time got me a little spot on WFAN. It just started. I screamed and yelled about that. Queensboro Bridge, Mets can't win a game. I'm sick of the Yankees. All of a sudden, Don Imus got a hold of it. The great Don Imus. Who is this mad dog that I'm hearing on weekends screaming and yelling? He puts me on in the updates, spring of 89. Six, 637 for three or four months. Pete Franklin has a contract dispute. He's making $300,000 a year. They brought him in from Cleveland to do weekdays. He got sick in New York. New York got sick of Pete. They had a local opportunity that Mark Mason, the program director, decided, you know what? We got Mike Francesco over here. This Russo's a wacky son of a gun. Let's try it. Labor Day weekend, 1989. 19 years later, five hours a day. Every event that you can think of. We went to the first Super Bowl, 89, Saints, uh, Niners, and Bengals. We did the show at the Hyatt. There were no other radio stations in town. Three years later, Denver and Dallas and Pasadena, there was a convention row. Not kidding, convention row. Go see Radio Row now at the Super Bowl. It's a cottage industry. Got a chance to start that. Did World Series shows in every ballpark you can think of. You name it, we were there. NBA Finals, Knicks were good then. 94 Rangers winning the Stanley Cup. Bulls, Suns, NBA Final. We did that show five hours a day, five days a week for 19 years. That's a lot of sports talk. We were starting to get in some fights, debates. You can't live with that person, and he can't live with me for that long without having some problems. We started to fight about who had better bathroom access, Fenway or Yankee Stadium. I said Fenway, Mike said Yankee Stadium. That caused problems. I realized, you know what? Life raft number four. Had to have it. Mel Carmazan, who ran Infinity, 
one night, one morning, made me a plate of eggs. I swear to God. He said, you know what? How about if I give you a channel over on Sirius XM? This is the summer of 2008. I said, you know what? Time to do something a little different. I was 48 years of age. I had made my mark. It was time to start a new nine. I was on the 10th hole. I started on Sirius XM in September of 2008. They had no Mad Dog Radio before. Five hours a day, very little commercials. I had to figure out how to navigate that show. This is national sports talk. I can't be yelling about what uh, you know, Jeff Torborg did in the top of the ninth inning in a Met Giant game. Nobody cares. National radio. College football. Roger Federer. What are the Seattle Seahawks doing? Give me the bullpen of the San Diego Padres. Edmonton Oilers hockey. That's a lot of shows. It's a lot of content. But I learned how to be a good talk show host by myself, directing with producers. Did that for year after year after year. Didn't know who was listening. When I was on WFAN in New York, I go down to the gas station. Everybody knew who Mad Dog was. Everybody listened to Mike and the Mad Dog. Go to a ball game, everybody knew who we were. You go to Sirius XM, at that point in my life, you're in a vacuum. So the radio has to carry you. You have to know you're good. You have to identify with your audience. Remember, in Jacksonville, two phone lines. When I got a call, I treasured them. First show in Orlando on a Sunday night. No guests, no calls. I cherished the calls. When I left Orlando, the fans threw me a roast. I realized then that it's about interaction, sports talk. It's about you with that sports fan out there. And you got to give him his time to say what he wants to say. Treat them properly. I learned how to do that at SiriusXM specifically because we were starting something new. So the guy who called from Missouri who wanted to talk about Oklahoma football, I couldn't blow him off. The guy in Albuquerque who wanted to talk about University of New Mexico basketball, couldn't blow him off. We all can talk NFL. We can do a lot of baseball. But how about the Denver Nuggets? Can you talk about the Denver Nuggets on a January day in the middle of, in the middle of Jan in the, uh, at 5 o'clock in the afternoon and break down their starting lineup? Might be a call out there that wants to do that. You have to learn how to handle that. Then we have the pandemic. Did the show from home. No sports. Five, three hours a day at this point. No sports. How to figure out how to manufacture a show when I didn't have sports. That's when I thought about Roger McGuinn. Crosby, Stills, and Nash, Springsteen, Books, Jim Thorpe, how to manufacture history. Carl Erskine on opening day in 2020 was a guest. It was two weeks after the pandemic. Erskine was from Anderson, Indiana. Called up, 35 minutes, talked about Robinson, those Brooklyn Dodgers. He was 95 years of age. Making sure that radio interview is crisp and is passionate and is interesting is something that is hard to teach. But after all these years in radio, I learned how to do it. And so being honored tonight is a big deal because you can talk about Stephen A. You can talk about Mike and the Mad Dog. You can talk about Letterman 37 times. He was on that show over 23 years.
Going back to NBC, on his last sports guest in 2013. Radio is what I enjoy most. And Radio brings out personality. You can be you. TV is a director's medium. Radio is a personality medium. And everybody who stepped up here tonight in his own way has created a path because of his personality. And that's the most important thing. I want to thank four specific people. I mentioned Scalar, I mentioned Khan, Raceman, Imus, Mark Mason, who put together Mike and the Mad Dog, Mike, my agent, Sandy Montag, quarter of a century. I blew him off in 93. He came after me, and I got back with him in 97. Books, you name it, shows, contracts, leaving, leaving FAN to go to Sirius. That was a major undertaking. And now first take. So we thank him tonight. I want to thank my parents. My father would have been a great talk show host in the early 50s. He was a jewelry salesman. Tony, we used to put a segment together on Sirius called Tony's Take, died in 2013. But he had enthusiasm, he had personality, and had a likability. Radio is also about likability. You gotta have people liking you so they listen. And you gotta have salesmanship so you can convince them what you're talking about is important. Tony taught me that. My mother, an English immigrant, moved here in the 1950s, an orphan in England during World War II. When I left Syosset, Long Island, on a snowy weekend in 83, she's English, knows nothing about sports. She thinks she wants her only son, only child to leave, to go to Jacksonville, Florida. But she knew she did the same thing. And she knew perseverance was important and challenges. So we give her credit tonight, and she's still alive. And then finally, my wife. I was 35 years of age. I was home on an American Airlines, 1993. Jordan had scored 54 that night, both sons. <laughs> Tied the series up at two games apiece. Bulls beat the Knicks in game five, and no championship for Patrick Ewing. Anyway, it was Memorial Day weekend. I swear this is a true story. It's Memorial Day weekend. I sat in 6B. My wife sat, Jeannie Rousseau, in 6A. I had dandruff on a lapel. And I was showing her a box score of this face, this great game that ended about an hour earlier. She knew nothing about sports, but she pretended that she did. She gets off the plane, LaGuardia. Her brother picks her up at the gate and says, Jeannie, you know half of New York hates this guy? That's a true story, and he's here tonight to verify. Tom LaVelle. I called her up. We dated. And then a year and a half later, got engaged and got married. She didn't realize I was, she didn't realize I was previously married to sports. That's not easy, because sports are on weekends and weeknights. 
when she's raising four little kids, I'm watching White Sox Angels. <laughs> Not easy. Not easy. She always says that I did a lousy job, well, not a lousy job, but I was a little, dilig uh, little, what's the word I'm looking for? Not, a, not active enough with raising four. Delinquent, thank you very much. I'm a little choked up, give me a break. I'll get off here in a second. Delinquent. And so raising four kids when I'm doing sports talk five hours a day, commuting in the city and coming home and saying, honey, I can't deal with this tonight. I got Nick's calves. That is not that easy. So we thank her with me every step of the way. 63 years of age. I've had a hell of a year. Hell of a year. I had, obviously, this new thing with First Take. I had celebrations and other capacities as well. I got a phone call on July 25th. I had just lost an awful men's inner clubs doubles tennis match. I double faulted my rear end off. I was so upset. On the way home, 10 minutes, I got a phone call. And it was from you guys. It was really from Steve Cohen, my boss, but it was from the Radio Hall of Fame saying, you know what? Congratulations. I cried all the way home. Thank you very much.